Amen. It's so good to be here this morning and sharing God's Word and being under the Word of the Lord is so important. And uh, let us pray before we enter in that time. Lord, we ask that as we open up your Word this morning, Lord, let us be reminded that everything that the Father wanted to scream out to the world has been done so through the person and work of Jesus Christ. Lord, we ask that the Holy Spirit of God would go before us this morning, that you would reveal truths to us. For some of us, it's just rediscovering the same truths that we've known, but maybe we've uh, got clouded along the way. And for others, maybe for the very first time, they would hear the true, true meaning of what it means uh, to be set free, to have spiritual freedom in Christ. What a wonderful gift. So, Lord, as we open up your word, we ask that the Holy Spirit of God go before us. Lord, give us uh, the desire and the power to walk in the truths of your word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. If you would open your Bibles to Galatians chapter 1. Galatians chapter 1, we're going to continue our sermon series called The Gospel of Grace. We're in our third uh, sermon on this particular series. If you're joining with us for the first time, or maybe you're joining with us today and you do not have a copy of God's word, I would encourage you to look underneath the seat in front of you or underneath the seat that you're sitting in. There should be a blue Bible there. I would encourage you to take that Bible, open up to page 1074, 1074. That's where we're going to be this morning. And really, the book of Galatians is really talking about uh, the spiritual freedom that we have in Christ. And just as a way of reminder, the Apostle Paul is writing to the churches in Galatia. More than likely, uh, this is his earliest writing or one of his earliest writings. And uh, as uh, he and Barnabas on Paul's first, Ameri- first missionary journey uh, went through uh, the providence of Galatia, there they, uh, through the Holy Spirit of God and the Word of God, they shared the gospel of God's amazing grace. Uh, people's lives were changed. Churches were planted. Uh, things were awesome. The, the message of the gospel went out, and by grace through faith, it was joyously received. Praise God for that. And it wasn't long after Paul and Barnabas went back to their commissioning church there in Antioch of Syria where false teachers began to come in to the very churches that received the message of God's grace. And they began to teach a a false gospel, if you will, that it, it wasn't a total denial of the work of Jesus Christ, but it was Jesus plus works, primarily adherence not only to the law of Moses, but to man's tradition over the years. And we'll see that this this morning. And and Paul writes to the churches in Galatia, and he's pleading for the church not to lose sight of the purity of the gospel, the centrality of the gospel, because it's not just the gospel that saves us from the wrath of God and the forgiveness of sin, and it's not just the gospel itself that gives us security one day in heaven, but it is the gospel that is so much needed in our walk with the Lord in the present. And so Paul writes to them and he reminds them that there is going to be great temptation in this life. Temptation to turn away from the gospel. Temptation to twist the gospel. And so he's writing to the churches in Galatia and he says, you need to rest, fully rest in the approval that you already have in Christ. And he begins to lay on more reasons why the gospel is so central into the life of the church and the life of the believers. He says, beginning in verse 11, we'll read through the first part of verse 16. He says, For I would have you know, brothers, that the gospel that was preached by me is not man's gospel. For I did not receive it from any man, nor was I taught it, but I received it through a revelation of Jesus Christ. For you have heard of my former life in Judaism, how I persecuted the church of God violently and tried to destroy it. And I was advancing in Judaism beyond many of my own age among 
my people. So extremely zealous was I for traditions of my fathers. But when he who had set me apart before I was born and who called me by his grace was pleased to reveal his son to me. And so it's with that passage that we're going to unpack three very powerful truths that, that not only should we be reminded of, but man, we should celebrate. And not only celebrate, but we are to anchor our lives in these three amazing truths. The first truth is this, the gospel of grace comes from God. It comes from God. Right out of the gates, that's where the Apostle Paul wants to hammer in. If you look at verses 11 and 12, remember what he said. He says, for I would have you know, brothers, that the gospel that was preached by me is not man's gospel. For I did not receive it from any man, nor was I taught it, but I received it through a revelation of Jesus Christ. Paul says, I want to make it perfectly clear that the gospel of grace that I preach from you does not come from man. It was given to me straight from the very revelation of Jesus Christ himself. When Jesus revealed himself to the apostle Paul at the time, saw it on the Damascus road in Acts 9, not only did Jesus reveal himself in bodily form, but Jesus revealed the very gospel of grace to him at that time. And why is that important? Why does it make sense that the gospel of grace does not come from man, but it originates with God? Because we, all of us, every single one of us, are born into this world, hardwired in the heart, with a works or performance-driven mentality. Think about school for just a minute. Now, some of us may not want to think about it anymore, but just think about it. We are ingrained at the earliest stages of life, works and performance. Think about a report card, right? How well did you obtain information? How well did you regurgitate that information on a test or a quiz or a homework assignment, right? And some are very gifted by God for that. Others have great struggle. In fact, not only do they give grades by how well you attain information or retain information and present information on a test or homework assignment, but you, at, at the earliest of ages, we even got grades for effort, right? You remember that? Man, I excelled greatly at effort in some aspects of school, but I still didn't pass the class, right? And here's what happens. Not only is that mindset, that mentality, that posture of the heart breathed into the system of academics, it's the same mentality, the same posture of the heart that's breathed into religious activity itself. Work hard, perform well, try really hard, and you might, you might just be good enough for the approval of God. This religious system of works is not only true of us today, but it was very much true in the day that Jesus walked this earth. He speaks to the Pharisees. The Pharisees would have been the, the religious leaders of the day. And this is what he says. He had very strong uh, disagreement with the Pharisees for, for very right reasons. And one of these, he says in Matthew 23, verse 4, he says, They, talking about the Pharisees, they tie up heavy burdens, hard to bear, and lay on them, lay on, them uh, on people's shoulders, but they themselves are not willing to move them with a finger. So you have a group of religious people, very religious in their activity, coming up with all kind of ways that you are to, to perform in such a way to be right with God. They're hoop, uh, heaping on rule after rule after rule after rule, so much so that they're not, even, they're not even trying to do it. They're just putting it on you. And so we walk in a life, this man system of works. Guess what? We're tired, Right? Every single one of us, to a degree, apart from the gospel, guess what? We, we are exhausted people because we have 
embraced and absorbed and in many ways been manipulated by this idea of the performance of works. And there's this subtle, this subtle yet crushing weight of, I need to do better. I need to do more. And Jesus, man, Jesus comes on the scene. And he turns that system upside down. And no longer is there a weight of do better, try harder. It's a message of tremendous grace. And that's the imitation that he, he humbly gives to the world. In Matthew 11, we read this last week, but it's such a powerful invitation. Come to me, all who labor, those who are exhausted, those who are heavy laden, those who are in a, in a day of hopelessness, right? He says that I will give you rest. In other words, stop. Stop your working. Stop your, your performance-driven life. Instead, take my yoke upon you and learn from me. Submit to my teaching. Submit to my message of good news, the gospel of grace. Why? Because I am gentle, he says. Jesus had strength under control, did he not? He says, I am gentle, and I'm lowly in heart. He's a humble servant. And he says, you will find rest for your souls. The the Jewish word would be shalom, complete peace, wholeness of life. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. Do you see the freedom that Jesus expresses just in this very passage in Matthew 11? This is not how we do things, right? This is not how we do things. We, we, we find ourselves tired, works, right? But Jesus comes on the scene and he gives rest. That is amazing grace. God's grace is so amazing, so outlandish, so ridiculous that we don't naturally want to embrace it. There's something that, that we oppose about God's amazing grace. Where, where we say no, God says yes. Where we say too lost, God says, I will leave the 99 to find the one. Where we say too broken, God says, I will make you new. Where we say unlovable, God says, I love you unconditionally. Where we say there has to be something for us to do. There's something that we have to do to somehow earn it, deserve it, secure it, achieve it. God says everything that needed to be done has already been done in Christ. It is finished. The gospel of grace comes from God. It's not the system that we would create, right? We create a very much works-based system, and that is a great challenge, not only to those who need Jesus Christ for the first time, but it is a great challenge for us who have already received Christ. We are so inundated with conforming to the world of works that Jesus says, I have set you free by my finished work. So the first truth that we see is the gospel of grace comes from God. The second truth that we see in this passage is the gospel of grace is man's greatest need. It's man's greatest need. Even before we recognize that we have a need for the Lord, guess what? The Lord knows we need him. The same was true of Paul in his day. Before Paul gave his life to Christ, he was in a very desperate situation, and he didn't even know it. He thought he was on the right track. He thought he was doing the right things. And yet his testimony, pre-conversion, tells something totally different. Listen to what he says in Galatians 1, verse 13 and 14. He says, for you have heard of my former life. These people knew who Paul was before he came to faith in Christ, right? He says, for you have heard of my formal life in Judaism, 
how I persecuted the church of God violently and tried to destroy it, and I was advancing in Judaism beyond many of my own age among my people. So extremely zealous was I for the what? For the traditions of my fathers. Now, when we think about Judaism, as Paul is explaining it here, we need to be very careful that we do not somehow have a one-to-one correlation between the Judaism that Paul is speaking of and the, the Jewish history that God established in the Old Testament. Yes, it's true that Paul himself was a Jew. And yes, it's true that the people of God in the Old Testament were the Jewish people. And God in the Old Testament gave his people, the Jewish people, a very specific way to live. That's why he gave the Ten Commandments. That's why he gave the law of Moses, right? They were set apart for the Lord. But what happens over time is man's tradition begins to set in. And so no longer is it about uh, honoring the Lord based on the commandments that he has given to us. But now all of a sudden, it's all these other laws, all these other commands, everything that feels right in man's own eye, and you go from 10 commandments to over 600. So it's not a one-to-one correlation. And what Paul is saying is, before I met Jesus Christ, I, I was trying to adhere to all the laws that not only came from the Lord, but that came from my own traditions in other words if you want to be right with God obey the Ten Commandments yes but you also need to do all these other things so it's not a denial of Jesus and the work of Jesus it's add all this other stuff on and Paul had such a zeal for his religious activity that's when he goes before uh, King Herod Agrippa in the book of Acts Acts 26 listen to his his zealousness his passion for a religious activity. He says in verses four and five, he says, my manner of life from my youth. So at his very young age, he spent from the beginning among my own nation and in Jerusalem is known by all the Jews. They have known for a long time if they are willing to testify that according to the strictest party of our religion, I have what? I have lived as a Pharisee. The same Pharisees that Jesus had already told us that were tying up heavy burden after heavy burden on the people and Paul was at the top and he was at the head of the class right he's the one getting all the awards all the acknowledgement he he went under uh, the greatest rabbi at the time the people thought that this guy by the name of Gamaliel was the best of the best little did they know the greatest of all greatest rabbis was Jesus Christ himself he was and is the greatest teacher According to Acts 23, Paul was a Pharisee and a son to a Pharisee. So this was really in his DNA, if you will. And with all this spiritual activity, all this zealousness, all this passion for religious works, Paul was literally blazing a new trail of what it meant to be a Pharisee. Nobody had seen anything like that before. In many ways, Paul was a superstar in tradition, right? He was religious. He was a stickler for all the man-made rules. He was a super judgmental. He was hyper aware of all the, everybody else's flaws. But in the midst of that, he didn't even know that he needed the gospel of grace himself. He had absolutely no idea. He was blind to the fact that he needed the gospel of grace. With all the religious activity, because of all the pride and the self-centered effort He was blinded to his need for grace. He missed Jesus in the process. And that pride 
That, that pride led to persecuting the church. Great hatred was welling up into the heart of Paul. Paul persecuted the church of God, the scripture says, violently. He tried to destroy it. Again, before King Herod Agrippa, that's part of his testimony. He says in verses 9 and through 11 in Acts 26, he says, I myself was convinced. So he's convinced. He's sincere in what he's doing. I was convinced that I ought to do many things in opposing the name of Jesus of Nazareth. And I did so in Jerusalem. I not only locked up many of the saints in prison after receiving authority from the chief high priest, but when they were put to death, I cast my vote against them. And I punished them often in all their synagogues and tried to make them blasphemy. And in raging fury against them, I persecuted them, even to foreign cities. So under Paul's religious activity was breathing pride and hatred. Let's call it what it is. That sounds a lot like the church in America, does it not? All that religious activity apart from the gospel, breeding in pride and hatred, right? It's interesting that Paul tries to uphold the laws of man by breaking the very laws of God, right? You see the weight of what's happening in Paul's life. Paul was there and he approved the stoning of Stephen in Acts 7, the first martyr in Christendom that we know of. In Acts 8, he says he, he ravaged the church. In Acts 9, he was breathing threats of murder against Christians. And Paul wants the, the churches in Galatia to be reminded that there wasn't one ounce in his body, not one bone in his body that wanted anything to do with Jesus Christ. You see, Paul was passionate. He was ambitious. But he was, Paul, he was passionate and ambition, ambitious about what he wanted. What, the focus of verses 13 and 14 are who? They're, they're Paul. It's what he did. It's what he brought to the table. So he had no idea that he needed the gospel of grace. But yet God did. In fact, when Paul was on his way to persecute more Christians on the road to Damascus in Acts 9, that's exactly where he had his encounter with Jesus Christ. God in his grace was pursuing Paul. As Paul was pursuing the persecution of the church, he had no idea that the God of the gospel of grace was pursuing Paul himself, not to harm him, but to heal him. And just like that, Paul, Paul needed God's grace to expose his former life. I love that phrase in verse 13, his, his former life. Listen, as a child of God today, you have a formal life. But praise be to God, he exposed it. And by grace through faith, you received him, you trust him, no longer living in the old self, but now alive to the new self. So we see that second truth, that the gospel of grace is man's greatest need. The third truth this morning is the gospel of grace is God's work, not ours. It's his work, not ours. God, without question, without question, takes the initiative in your life, in my life, as it pertains to salvation. He says in verse 15, in the beginning of verse 16, he says, But when he who had set me apart before I was born and called me by his grace was pleased to reveal his son to me. The gospel of grace, God taking the initiative. Did you hear how God took the initiative and in how he intervened in Paul's life? God interrupts Paul's life, and that interruption is a gift of grace 
The message of the gospel is God's rescue mission to lost and wayward sinners. And this was where Paul was at. And the same is true of all of us today. God saw the destruction of our sin. He saw our hurt. He saw our pain. He saw all our suffering, all that stuff. And chooses to send his one and only son, Jesus, to intervene. To intervene. You know, what has the ability to have power over darkness and sin and hurt and suffering? It's that awesome phrase, but God, but God. You see, Jesus didn't have to rescue you, but because of his character and his graciousness and his mercy, he has chosen to interrupt your life. And pay, praise God for that interruption. Praise God for that intervention. Paul speaks of this in uh, Ephesians 2. He says, and you were dead, talking about all of us, right? Before Christ, all of us were dead in our trespasses and sins to which we once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind. In other words, you, you have no hope to do it on your own, right? You have one choice apart from Christ. That is to live disobedient to God, dominated by the devil, the system of the world, the desires of your flesh. That's, that's who we were apart from Christ. And it gets worse. He says, and we were by nature children of wrath, just like the rest of mankind. We were enemies of God. But then the great intervention of grace, verse four. But God, but God being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved. God in his mercy withholds what we do deserve, and God in his amazing grace gives us exactly what we do not deserve. In his grace, he gives us love, he gives us a family. In his mercy, he puts the very wrath of our sin on his precious son, Jesus Christ. And by grace, through faith, we're saved. We're made right with God. Not through works, but through faith. God also takes the initiative in his planning. Paul says, he, he set me apart before I was born. The very fact that God set his affection on you before your parents even knew you existed is, is amazing. God's affection for you, his plan for you. It's a reminder to us that God didn't just show up in your life 30 seconds before you received Christ as your Savior. God has been at work behind the scenes your entire life. He, he's been through an amazing process of tearing you down from yourself. And for some of us, it is a very, very painful process. But when we submit ourselves to the will of God, through the person and work of Jesus Christ, we too will say, that was my former life. And it will be a wonderful work of God's grace. I encourage you, look back at your life. See the hand of God in your life before you even recognize you needed him. I love how Paul explains this in 1 Timothy. He says, in 1 Timothy 1, he says, though formerly I was a blasphemer, persecutor, insolent opponent, but I received mercy because I had acted ignorantly in unbelief. And the grace of our Lord what overflowed for me. Man, what an awesome phrase. With the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. The saying is trustworthy and deserving of all uh, full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to do what? To save sinners of whom I am the foremost. Paul says that, that's who I was. 
He says, but I received mercy for this reason. And what was that reason, Paul? That in me, as the foremost, Jesus Christ might display his perfect patience as an example to those who were to believe in him for eternal life. Man, what an awesome phrase. Paul looks back at his formal life and Paul says, yeah, I did some really bad stuff. I was wayward for a very long time. But God, in his mercy and his sovereignty, did that in such a way so that I could see in my life God's perfect patience. When you look back in your life, do you see God's perfect patience for you? Man, God is a patient God. In fact, in Romans 2, it says, it is the kindness of the Lord that draws us to repentance. But we also see God take the initiative in his calling. Paul says that God called us by his grace. He, he rescue, rescued us, and he rescued us from ourselves and for his eternal purposes. And by his grace, he gives us a new identity. Praise be to God for that. He says, God was pleased when he revealed his son to me, not just to me, but really the better translation would be in me. He revealed himself in me. Paul's former life had been replaced with a new life. He says this in 2 Corinthians 5. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, behold, take notice, the new has come. Do you praise God today for your new identity in Christ? Peter says it like this in 1 Peter 2. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood. Man, we, we have the greatest family on the face of the earth. We, we're part of God's family because of him. He has chosen us. We are redeemed because of him. We are a royal priesthood. That means we, we have the ability to be a conduit of God's grace in the world, right? We, we bridge the gap between the sinfulness of man and the holiness of God by sharing the gospel and living out the gospel. He says we are a holy nation. We are set apart by God, for God, and for his purposes. We are a people for his own possession. That means we have been bought with a precious, a very expensive gift, right? The gift of Jesus' own blood. For what reason? That you may proclaim the excellency of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Do you see your identity is wrapped up in God's initiative towards you? God does all of this. Why? The scripture says for his own pleasure. It was for God's pleasure that he revealed himself to me or in me. Why? Why? Why does God get great pleasure in revealing the work of the Son to us today? Because God is reminding us over and over again that the gospel comes from him. The gospel is our greatest need, and in Christ, God does the impossible. Remember the story of the rich young ruler. The rich young ruler goes to Jesus and says, what, what is it that I knew to be saved? And the rich young ruler says, I've done all these things. I've kept the law, all that. Jesus knows the heart of the rich young ruler, and he says, you go sell everything you own. Now, the issue isn't that if you go do these works, you'll be right with God. No, Jesus understood his heart. And when Jesus exposed his heart, you have two ways to respond when Jesus exposes the sin of your heart. You can either respond in faith to him or you can respond in rejection and turn away. And that's exactly what the rich young ruler did. And the disciples are perplexed. How is it possible to be right with God if this man himself is not right with God? And I love what Jesus says in Luke 18. He says, those who heard it, talking about disciples, then who can be saved? 
And Jesus says, but he said, what is impossible with man is possible with God. You see, everything, everything needed for salvation is possible because of God himself. The question is, will you submit to him? Will you submit to him today? And the beauty is, as you submit to Christ, not just in the past, but every day, you will find grace upon grace upon grace. Why? Because everything that was necessary for the forgiveness of sin, security in heaven, empowerment today to live in Christ-likeness comes from him, the goodness of the grace of the gospel. Paul says to Titus in Titus 3, but when the goodness of the, and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, he saved us, not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy, by, wa- by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ our Savior, so that being justified by his grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. Do you hear it? It's talking about the assurance of salvation. Listen, your assurance and my assurance of salvation doesn't rest on my performance and my works. It rests on Christ's performance and his work. That's why Hebrews 12, 2 says this, that we are to look where? We are to look to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Why do we fix our eyes on Jesus? The scripture says he is the founder of our faith. That means he is our greatest example of what faithfulness looks like, right? His supreme dependency on the Father is so important for us to see in Christ. But not only that, he is the perfecter of our faith. The word perfecter means the one who carries it out to completion. And who carries out your salvation to completion? It is him, not us. Jesus didn't just die for us. He desires to live in us and through us. And that is the message of God's amazing grace. You see, I was never created to run the race of life on my own, and yet we find ourselves, again, going back to that same posture, right? That I've got to do it my own. I've got to do it by myself. The scripture says, because it's the gospel of grace, you run with Jesus. Run with Jesus. Depend on him every step of the way. You see, our motivation and power to live the Christian life doesn't come from us. It comes from the Holy Spirit of God that dwells within us. It's not about my performance and my willpower. It's about his performance and his strength in me, right? He is our humble servant. The gospel of grace comes from God. It's our greatest need, and it's his work, not ours. As we respond in faith to what God's word has taught us this morning as the Holy Spirit of God continues to work in our lives, where is it that we need to respond? In just a moment, we're going to sing a song at our response time, Oh, Come to the Altar, and this is what it says. Are you hurting and broken within, overwhelmed by the weight of your sin? Jesus is calling. Have you come to the end of yourself? Do you thirst for a drink from the well? Jesus is calling. Come to the altar. The Father's arms are open wide. Forgiveness was brought with the precious blood of Jesus Christ. Leave behind your regrets and mistakes. Come today. There's no reason to wait. Jesus is calling. What are you waiting for?